to the Red Light Report. Your number one source for all things red light therapy. Where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Red Light Report. And on today's episode, I have Kayla Osterhoff, and she is a neuropsychophysiologist, that's a mouthful, and a renowned women's health expert whose pioneering research has been featured on media and stages around the world. She is the founder and CEO of Her Biorhythm, a women's health research and education company that aims to close the gender gap in health science. And Kayla, correct me if I'm wrong, but I saw on your Instagram profile, you're also a PhD student. Yep, that's right. I am uh, in my dissertation right now, and I'll have that final terminal degree, they call it, uh, finished up within about a year. Well, that's exciting. First off, welcome to the Red Light Report. Secondly, what, what is your dissertation on? On women's neuropsychophysiology, actually, looking at the female biological rhythm and the physiological shifts that occur between the phases that happen within the female biorhythm. What have you learned? Oh, yeah, I'm sure that, that that's kind of a loaded yeah. question, but yeah, kind of expound upon that for the audience. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. This has been a long time coming. And uh, we actually did an episode with you on my podcast a couple years ago now, I think it was. And so I'm happy to be here on your podcast now and talk about women and women's health. In my research, the most fascinating finding, I guess, is that women are essentially four different people over the course of a month with four different sets of basic biological needs. And with this understanding comes this kind of mystery and magic that is the female biology. So it's been really fun to kind of uncover these mysteries of the female biology. Unfortunately, because women have been left out of the clinical research since basically the beginning of science, women are this kind of uncharted frontier when it comes to the scientific understanding of women's biological functions. And so it's really fun to kind of be on the cutting edge of this kind of research and to be working to close this gender gap in the health science research. Why were women left out? I mean, maybe that's kind of a a silly question, but was it just another one of those man versus woman type of things? And it was just like push women to the side. They don't need to be looked at as closely as men or what's the reason behind that? If you know. No, there's actually a couple of really solid reasons why women are left out of the research. It doesn't make it right or okay. It's actually very understandable why women have been left out. And those reasons are one, that women are risky research subjects because they can become pregnant at any time. Women of childbearing potential, right? And the other reason why is that women are biologically complex. So this actually goes back to this female biorhythm and these four different phases and the fact that we have this different biochemical, neurological, and physiological signature that occurs in our bodies over the course of a month through these four significant shifts in the phases. So because of that, women are basically 
physiologically shifting all the time. So they're becoming different a little by little every day. And with that, it makes a very difficult research subject. You know, how do you control for that when there are these shifts occurring all the time? It's kind of trying to trying to shoot a moving target, right? Even though I understand the reasons why women are left out of the research, it's something that we can no longer tolerate because we have to understand female biology and we have to start supporting women properly. So because of these reasons, back in 1977, the FDA actually banned all women of childbearing potential from all clinical research. And that actually didn't get overturned until 1993. And even to today, since it's been overturned, women are still left out of the clinical research. They're not included at the same levels as their male counterparts because of the same reasons, right? Because they're these risky research subjects. So one of my areas of passion is really starting to close this gender gap in the health science research and get more research looking or more scientists looking at the female biology and understanding the differences between men and women, because there are these significant differences that are being ignored when it comes to the basic biology of men and women. That, that makes total sense. And I imagine there's quite a few hurdles to, like you're saying, executing the closing of the gender gap. So outside of the obvious, as far as like the hormonal difference between women and men, what are some of the different things that the research has or will uncover, do you believe? Yeah. So, you know, like you mentioned this, the basic differentiator between men and women is hormones, right? And this is very key. And this is the piece that we've actually been ignoring in terms of this global physiological impact of our hormone cycles. So for men, men operate on a 24-hour repeating hormone cycle and physiological cycle. So their whole physiology follows this day in and day out repeating cycle that is in alignment with their circadian rhythm. So that 24-hour cycle that drives the male biology and kind of is the, the ticker, the clock at the center of the male biology is driven by cortisol and melatonin, you know, these sleep-wake cycles. Now for women, the female biology and physiology follows the ticker, the clock of two different hormones, and that is estrogen and progesterone. And so estrogen and progesterone are kind of the heartbeat of the female biology and has a global physiological impact that shifts everything about our physiology, everything from our cardiovascular system, our respiratory system, our nervous system, our metabolic function, all of these things are significantly impacted by the ebb and flow of estrogen and progesterone over the course of a month. And so that's why women have a month long biorhythm instead of a day long biorhythm. So with this understanding, there are so many things yet to be uncovered about female biology and our capacity. And what I have been finding in my research is that women have these significant physiological shifts and they have significant cognitive shifts through the four phases. And they actually have these benefits of each phase that they can leverage for better health and higher performance. But the key is really to understand how their bodies are shifting and operating differently through each of the four phases so that they know how to navigate and make, you know, the right health choices during each phase. Yeah. With that being said, 
During the four phases, what are some of the, I guess, variables or strategies that women would want to utilize during the four phases? Like you said, they're different and they're going to necessitate potentially different, you know, nutrition needs, fitness, sleep, all that stuff and and beyond, I'm sure. So what are some of those variables that uh, they should consider? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe we could just do like a little quick rundown of the four phases and then we can talk about, you know, what this means in terms of our function and our health and our choices, our biohacks, all of these things really have to be informed by this biological rhythm. So um, phase one is the menstrual phase. And typically this is the only phase that women are really aware that they have. They know that they're either menstruating or not menstruating, right? And that's pretty as far as it goes in terms of our education as women about our biological rhythm. Like we're not really taught anything else further than that, which really is disempowering because we don't under even understand our bodies and how they operate and how to operate our bodies properly because we're not given all the instructions. So um, phase one is when estrogen and progesterone are at their very lowest level. And so when this happens, our physiology shifts significantly and kind of starts to slow down a little bit. Our metabolic function slows down. Our body starts to generate less ATP. So we have less energy, less fuel for our body. So our energy levels as women are a little lower during this time, and that's natural and normal. And when we look at our brains and how those function during this time with those low hormone levels, we actually see that we have less of our excitatory neurotransmitters and less of our mood boosting neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, epinephrine, all of these things. So with that, we have like a more subdued mood during this time as well. So we're kind of like in the winter of our biorhythm in this first phase, which, you know, lasts anywhere between four and seven days. Every woman's a little different. And during this time, we're kind of going inward in terms of our focus. So our focus might be less outward focused and going kind of more inward if we're following our biological rhythm and allowing our bodies to kind of follow the flow of how our cycle works. And when we do this, what the most interesting thing is, is that we look at kind of the cognitive functions during each of the phases, and this has been pretty well researched, and there's been some really interesting findings. And during this first phase in menstruation, women have more of what's called cognitive empathy, which is kind of a scientific term for intuition. So a woman has heightened intuitive insight during this time and, you know, they can kind of bypass that if they're trying to push through the energy levels, if they're trying to kind of push through the more subdued mood, you know, they're drinking extra cups of coffee. They're trying to just push through. I don't know how many women I've ever heard, you know, multiple, multiple hundreds of women say that they just push through. And when we do this, we're actually utilizing our resources, not in the most smart way. We're kind of running out of our resources because we're swimming up river and we're wasting the resources that we have instead of flowing with where our biology is already going. And when we do that, we can kind of tap into these cognitive benefits that we get in each phase. So going from phase one into phase two, this is marked by an increase 
to a peak in estrogen specifically. So estrogen is kind of the star of the show during phase two, which is the follicular phase. And as estrogen rises to a peak, so does our metabolic function this increased production of ATP. So we get higher and higher energy levels. We have more strength, power, endurance, and stamina as estrogen rises, and we get more of our excitatory and mood boosting neurochemicals. So we start to be more social. We start to be more outwardly focused. And interestingly, when we look at how our cognitive function shifts, we see that women have higher and higher emotional intelligence as estrogen rises. And we also get this higher ability for navigation. So with that, we are kind of like in the um, action and the strategy phase of our biorhythm. So you can kind of start to put the puzzle pieces together of how you could operate in partnership with your body during, during each of these phases and really kind of leverage these psychological, cognitive, and physiological benefits that kind of occur in each one. So phase four is the ovulatory phase. And this is more of a phase shift than a phase in and of itself because it's very short, but it is worth mentioning because there are significant signatures of this phase that can be leveraged for higher performance and better health. And so this is marked by a peak in estrogen. So estrogen hits its highest point during this phase. And this is also when we have our highest levels of energy. So we have the most production of ATP. We have our highest level of mood boosting neurochemicals. We also get a nice peak in luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone during this phase. And so this is when we are feeling kind of our most energetic, most outwardly focused and expressive. We're feeling very social because we have this heightened um, emotional intelligence during this time. And so our cognitive superpower, if you will, during this phase is this charismatic influence. We're more influential. This is when women, you know, could be doing their pitches or their presentations or their networking events. This is a great time to do these things because we have, you know, the endurance to do it. And we have this emotional intelligence so we can connect and communicate with others in a more profound way. And so we have this influence during this time. It's like the, the leader phase. And then going from that phase into the final phase, which is the luteal phase, this is actually the longest phase. It's the whole back half of the biorhythm, so about two weeks, whereas the whole front half is those first three phases. And during this back half, what happens is estrogen kind of like starts to take a back seat and progesterone steps onto the stage and becomes the star player during this phase. So progesterone rises to a peak steadily through this phase. And as that happens, we see some really interesting neurological shifts with women that is really something that we should learn to leverage as women, because this is how we have greater ability to learn and grow and adapt. So what happens as progesterone rises to a peak is that we see a nice boost in brain-derived neurotrophic factor that goes along, along with this, and that increases our neuroplasticity. So how plastic our brain is, how moldable it is, right? How we can shift behaviors. 
And we also see an increase in neurogenesis. So we're actually growing new neurons at a higher rate during this time. So I call this like the brainy phase because these cool things are happening with our brain. The other cool neurological shift that happens is we get a nice increase in GABA neurotransmitter activity during this phase. So GABA neurotransmitter is related to getting restful sleep, neural pruning, and memory consolidation. And so we get this heightened ability to consolidate memories and, you know, this heightened ability to learn, grow, and adapt during this phase specifically. So this is actually my favorite phase, but it's the one that gets the, the worst rap because this is usually when women have, you know, what has been labeled as PMS right? Which really is, is some level of hormonal dysfunction. Um, when we experience PMS, it's us not understanding our bodies, our biorhythms and how to really navigate with them and feeding our hormones, what they need during each of the four phases, this kind of catch all for any kind of negative symptoms that happen related to our cycle is called PMS. And it typically happens during the end of this phase. But I always tell women, you know, once they start to understand their biorhythm and they start to kind of dance with the four phases and they start to feed their hormones what they need in each phase, because there's different, you know, nutritional requirements, there's different movement fitness requirements, there's different requirements when, in terms of the quality of our nervous system, even. Um, and when they start to learn that, they will no longer experience these symptoms that are put into the category of PMS. Did you guys know that it's teeth whitening season? Well, heck, isn't it always teeth whitening season? Who doesn't want to have the whitest, brightest smile in the room? And not just that, but also receive the benefits of red light therapy for the oral cavity at the same time. My company, BioLite, just released our newest product called the Guardian Plus, which implements both blue light for the teeth whitening aspect, but also the red and near-infrared light for the red light therapy aspect for your oral cavity. We're all familiar with blue light for the teeth whitening aspect, but did you know the blue light therapy is also beneficial for selectively killing harmful bacteria, leaving the beneficial bacteria thriving and well, and blue light therapy is also good for gum health and tooth sensitivity. And of course, we know the laundry list of things that red light therapy does for the oral cavity, such as gum health and gum pain, infections and inflammation, wound healing, gingivitis, oral mucositis, so on and so forth. So with the Guardian Plus, you get the best of both worlds. And as my devout favorite podcast listeners in the world, I'm giving you guys an exclusive 20% discount on the Guardian Plus for the month of April only. So go ahead and use coupon code BLUELIGHTPODCAST to get 20% off your Guardian Plus. That's through the month of April in 2022. You can get 20% off. Go ahead and use coupon code BLUELIGHTPODCAST to whiten your teeth and improve the health of your oral microbiome. That was a very thorough breakdown. Appreciate that, Kayla. And you kind of almost did a segue into my next thought or question. And that's with these phases in consideration, it sounds like most of them are in that first half. Like you said, I think one, two, three were in the first half. Yeah. And the last one takes up the whole second half. Yeah. Um, with that being said, what are some of the nutritional things that people should consider for whether it's the first half, second half, or, or those individual phases, what are some th uh, things that the women could utilize or they should like discontinue from a nutritional yeah. standpoint to kind of lean into those phases? 
Yeah, this is a really great question. And there's a couple of things that happen, especially in the biohacking world, but you know, definitely in this health influencer world, which is mostly men. And they're giving recommendations that are blanket recommendations for everyone because they find something that works really well for them. And what they are unaware of is that, you know, because they have this repeating 24 hour rhythm to their biology, they can do diets and different practices that they repeat day in and day out. And it'll actually work well for their biology. When it comes to women, we have to consider that we have these different phases, right? And we have these different nutritional needs. So doing something, for instance, like a strictly ketogenic diet, like a really low carb diet all month long is actually going to be really dangerous and harmful for our hormones because during parts of our cycle, we actually require carbohydrate refeeding periods so that we can feed our hormones what they're needing for production. So that's one that I always like to kind of wave a red flag for women and say, you know, just be careful about any kind of health recommendation where the recommendation is that you do the same thing every day, because for women, really, there aren't any kind of health recommendations that are going to work for them to do something consistently every single day. Another one that women should really watch out for is fasting, right? Especially intermittent fasting. Again, with the male biology, doing something like intermittent fasting every day actually works pretty well because your biology is consistent and it has the same needs pretty much every day. For women, we can't do that, especially because if we're doing fasting during certain times in our cycle where our hormones are needing consistent feeding of calories, right, then we can actually cause hormonal dysfunction. And I hear this all the time. Women adopt a intermittent fasting routine, or they go on a really low carb diet and they do well for like the first month, maybe two months. And then all of a sudden they start crashing their energy crashes, their mood crashes. When they go and get their hormones tested, their hormones are burnt out. This is because they're no longer feeding their hormones, what their hormones require. So these are kind of two for women to keep an eye out. And a lot of women intuitively know this because they'll say, okay, well, I'm going to try this because so-and-so said that this was going to work really well for me, or I read a book or whatever it is. Right. And the science behind it is great. You know, autophagy, all these things are really, really beneficial and they have their place, but we just have to understand when to apply them and when not to apply them. So they do that and then they start to feel like it's not working for them and they know that it's not working for them, but they're being told that they should continue on. And so it gets to be really confusing for us because we're like, wait a minute, we read this book, I, all that science behind this specific diet or this specific practice, I know it works because the science says it works, but that is also science and research that is done on male biology. And those findings come from research done on men. So of course it works well for them, right? For instance, just with like fasting, when you can apply this safely and when, when maybe not to apply an intermittent fasting routine, I would say 
I recommend this for the women that I work with, that if you want to do an intermittent fasting routine, really the only fully safe time to do it is during that really low hormonal phase. So during menstruation phase one, you know, about a week or so, this is a good time to do a fasting routine because remember our metabolic rate slows down. So our caloric need is actually lower during this phase. And because our hormones are at this lowest level, we're not focused on producing estrogen or progesterone during this phase specifically, right? So it's actually an okay time to do this. And if you want to do like a long-term fasting routine where you do this, you know, once a month or once a quarter or whatever, when you do a 24 hour or 48 hour or 72, I would always try to schedule that to be during phase one because then you know that you're in that safe window. You kind of answered a lot of questions I was going to ask anyway. So <laughs> thanks for that. But that, yeah. that reminded a lot of me of, because uh, I used to listen a lot from Dr. Uh, Dan Pompa. You know, he's way yes. into fasting and all that good stuff. And I remember him basically saying what you said, that his wife and, and her friends, you know, they were they were doing a lot of the fasting like he was, but they would get these sugar cravings or like these carb cravings but they were so engrossed in the fasting that they would push through it. And then after a while, Dr. Dan Pompa kind of said, well, maybe you guys should kind of lean into those carb cravings and see what happens. And once they started doing that, they actually lost weight. They felt more energy and everything was more normal. So to your point, uh, there's, a, there's a time and place to have carbs. Just the fact that guys have that 24 hour around the clock, whereas you guys are uh, much more complex, needless to say. Um, <laughs> But it's very interesting, even even from my perspective, knowing this, and uh, it just gives a better perspective on even all these different biohacks. Yes, I might do this to the guy, and most of the research, like you're alluding to, is on males, but we need to be wary about the potential differences or complications with the hormones and things that women are dealing with. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I love these male leaders like you and influencers who are wanting to learn about this so that they can give the right information to the women who tune into them. Right. And these kind of caveats like, hey, this works well for me. And the research shows that there's really good efficacy and evidence for this specific thing. However, we have to consider that that research is mostly done on men. Right. So I love that we're having this conversation and kind of bringing this awareness to your audience and the women tuning in here. 100%. And the first step is being aware. And then the second step is, is utilizing that awareness and that knowledge uh, to your advantage. Yeah. And with that being said, Kayla, especially since you're so entrenched in the biohacking space, what are some of the low-hanging fruit from a woman's health perspective as far as a biohacker or biohacking tools, whether it's nature or technology um, or a combination? Yeah. I mean, I always love more natural biohacks, meaning free, right? Things that you can do with your body and you don't necessarily have to buy any special gadgets or anything. However, I do love my red light. So I'll include that in, in kind of let's go through the four phases and we'll talk about a couple of biohacks in each phase. That would be good for each phase. Kind of, we talked about what to avoid, but let's talk about, you know, what can we do to promote our physiology and kind of push in the direction that the river is already going with our physiology. And that's really the key is what's already happening in our body. Okay. Let's lean into that. Like you said, if we're craving carbohydrates, potentially that might be a time when we're supposed to have this carbohydrate refeeding. So starting to tune in and listen to our bodies. 
So phase one, again, this is, you know, when we have that low metabolic activity or lower, lowest metabolic activity, and we have this kind of like subdued mood, subdued energy. So we can actually really lean into that and kind of ramp up our mindfulness practices during this phase. Because remember, we get this intuitive insight. So if we allow ourselves to be a little more still, be a little more inwardly focused during this time, it's actually really fascinating what kinds of ideas and innovations come forward. This is actually a really great time for us to also be doing like our assessment type work. This is the time when we can be allocating resources more effectively because we have this, this kind of knowing, this extra sense of this intuition that we're finding out is a real thing. A woman's intuition is a real thing and we can actually measure it, you know, on brain scans now. So it's pretty cool that we can actually kind of tap into this more profoundly during phase one. So ramping up your meditation practice practice, your mindfulness practice, but if that's something that you do and avoiding stimulants because you don't want to go in the opposite direction, right? You don't want to just push through and you don't want to try to artificially kind of increase your energy. You want to go with the energy that you have and kind of allocate it smartly so that you don't run out and you don't burn out. And that's the biggest thing. We don't want to burn out. And a lot of us are. So avoiding the coffee or that extra cup of coffee, at least, right? Getting really good sleep. And we want to be practicing our self-care during this time. So phase two, this is right when our energy levels are kind of ramping up. This is when we have all these mood boosting neurochemicals and excitatory neurochemicals. So I always say, push in the direction you're already going, give it even a further boost. Use your nootropics during this phase because your brain's already doing that. So give it a little boost even more and you'll have way more energy, way more focus when you're already going in that direction. So this is a great time for the nootropics. Um, this is also a really great time if you want to do kind of like these, these more endurance type workouts, or if you want to do more of like a hit kind of workout, these high intensity interval trainings, this this is a really great time to do it because our power, strength, and endurance is heightened during this phase. During the ovulatory phase, again, this is when you want to leverage your social abilities, right? And you have this heightened energy levels. Again, nootropics are a great thing to use during this phase, but this is when maybe you want to be interacting with others a lot more. And this is when you want to be having these connections and utilizing your extra communication skills that you have. I know that's not necessarily a biohack, but it, it kind of is because this is your superpower. So leverage it, lean in to it, lean into these high energy levels. And again, the same kind of biohacks that work during the phase two follicular phase will also work during this phase two, because you're at this like heightened state. And then in the luteal phase, Again, this is the brainy phase, but this is also remember when we're getting that extra GABA neurotransmitter, which is involved in sleep. So whatever kind of sleep biohacks you have, pull them out during this phase, get restful sleep, because that's how you're actually going to benefit from the neurological shifts that happen. So boost up your sleep, use your blackout eye mask, use your CBD, use your red light therapy to help you sleep. The other thing is 
we have more of a sympathetic quality to our nervous system in phase four, meaning that our stress capacity is lower. So any kind of biohacks that increase our stress capacity, again, like red light therapy, getting restful sleep, doing any kind of like vagal toning kind of exercises, these kinds of things increase that stress capacity and kind of counterbalance that sympathetic quality that happens in our nervous system. That makes a lot of sense, you know, walking through that phase by phase and how to lean into every single one. And this is going to be kind of a speculative question to you, Kayla, and you kind of touched on it a little bit, but regarding red light therapy specifically, given the different phases, when would it be best to utilize red light therapy and when would it be best to kind of taper it off or kind of pull back from using it? Given what we know about red light therapy, where it can be energy boosting with its ATP production. But like you alluded to, there's a lot of research showing how it can really reduce your stress or increase your ability to take on stress loads. So with that being said, what what would you consider or what would you suggest phase to phase regarding red light therapy specifically? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's something that I kind of use in my own biohacking routines through all four of my phases. But red light's one of the ones that you can kind of use during all the phases, but the use case will be different, right? So during phase one, that's when you want to be restoring your energy. This is when you want to be having your self-care. You want to be in this more reflective, meditative state and kind of allocating your energy smartly. So using it in more of a restorative sense during phase one could be really helpful. And again, to help you get restful sleep. Sometimes I like to do red light during my meditations and it can actually help me go deeper into them. So that could be something that would be helpful and useful to kind of push the physiology in the right direction during this phase. But you don't want to use red light therapy for more energy boosting or excitatory states, right? So your use case is a little different. In phase two, you absolutely want to do that. You want to be boosting up your energy levels. You want to be boosting up your ATP, kind of pushing that promotion of these physiological states forward more profoundly. Also, if you're really focusing on your fitness during this phase and these harder workouts or endurance workouts, I use red light in this phase specifically for my muscle recovery. So I like, I'm a runner and a biker. And so I like to go on my big, long runs and, and bike rides during this phase. And I like to do a lot. I don't take as many breaks for recovery in between. So using my red light on my sore muscles at night really, really helps. And it helps me to keep going without having to focus too much on recovery in this phase pretty much the same thing for the ovulatory phase, I would say. And then in the luteal phase, again, you want to be focusing on sleep. So I would use red light to be promoting my sleep during this time. Nice. That that makes sense. Good suggestions too, um, for all the ladies out there. Um, And I love how you have those different protocols for red light use cases. So I think it would be really interesting to kind of put together a little thing for women where they could go through each of the four phases and you could have, you know, these different protocols considering their physiological shifts and, and biological needs in each phase. Uh, do you mean for each protocol or kind of like you just broke down a global consideration for how to use red light therapy, given those four phases. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And like how far away the light should be, how long the session should be. Um, I think that would be really, really cool. To promote, like you're saying, 
uh, restorative in the first, energetic in the second. Okay, yeah, totally. I appreciate that suggestion. I'll definitely integrate that. And that's perfect timing because I'm actually amidst uh, updating it for its fourth edition. So I'll try to include that for the fourth edition. Amazing. Yeah, please share it with me and I'll, yeah. I'll share it with the women in my community. Definitely will do. And I know, Kayla, we're running a little short on time, but I do, and I would love for you to touch on your biorhythm certification program. So if you could kind of walk through what that is, what that's all about. So if all the women out there are interested in it, they could kind of get into that program for uh, with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a, a couple of offerings right now. One is a personal women's health program, and that is learning about your biological rhythms. You learn about your physiology, everything that's going on in your body, and then you learn how to tailor your health practices for each phase. So, you know, your nutrition, your fitness, your workouts, your nervous system, how to take care of your nervous system, your stress management, your sleep, all of these things, and kind of aligning each area of your life with the four phases. So that is at herbiorhythm.com. Um, it's an eight-week program. It's fully online on demand. So you can start and work at your own pace. And it's fully loaded with a ton of materials and downloadable tools that you can keep forever and use to kind of support your biology as a woman. The other thing that is actually coming out next month is my certification program, which you just mentioned, and this is for men and women, and this is for anyone who serves women in their work. So it's primarily for doctors, practitioners, and coaches of any kind so that they can learn how to properly support the women that they work with and understand the female biology and physiology. So it's essentially like a master's degree in feminine biology and understanding all these four phases, but really diving into the science and really understanding the biochemical processes and all of these things and how to really support the women that we work with at the highest level that we can. Excellent. So you have two offerings and both can be found at herbiorhythm.com. Yes, that's right. Awesome. Maybe an, a silly question to end things a little bit. This yeah. concept or this paradigm of manstrating, is there anything to it or is it more of like a placebo condition for males? Is there anything to, to manstrating? Well, I think anything that is a placebo condition still has a lot of teeth to it, right? In our medical and scientific communities, if we actually leveraged placebo instead of just blowing it off as a mistake, we could do so much more with our health. So I don't blow it off as a placebo thing. I do think it happens. And I think it usually has to do from what I've seen with the male's level of compassion and connection with the woman that he is related to in whatever way or in relationship with. There's kind of this sympathetic quality, meaning like sympathy of what a woman might be going through. But there's also this relational aspect. And it's actually something really interesting that that's covered in the, you know, men are from Venus, women are from Mars, John Gray, he's, he's one of my favorites. And he really talks about this relational aspect of hormone health and how if we're relating to each other in a supportive way, we actually create healthier levels of our hormones. And so, you know, if a woman is hormonally dysfunctional, it actually could cause, you know, some communication breakdown and some negative relational aspects that could actually harm the man's hormonal function as well. So I do think that there is something to it in, in a long roundabout way. <laughs> no, that's interesting. 
interesting. Yeah, that's that's yeah. more insight than I would have, I guess, anticipated. So thanks for sharing. Yeah. Um, so so on top of her biorhythm.com, you guys can find Kayla on Instagram at biocurious underscore Kayla. Um, is there anywhere else where people can go to learn more about you and more from you? Or are those kind of the two main ones, Kayla? Those are the great places to go to connect with me. If you want to connect with me personally, you can always send me a direct message on Instagram. I answer all of those personally myself. So if you do reach out, just give me a little time because I do answer all of those personally myself. So sometimes it can take me a little bit to get back. Awesome. Worth a wait to get that uh, genuine feedback from Kayla. Yeah. Anything else you're, you're excited about or any just last words on women's health? Yeah. There? I'll leave it with this. It's my belief women are the greatest untapped resource in modern society that will potentially evolve us forward faster. So when we start to understand women and actually support them properly, they will be operating at such a higher level that you can't even imagine the types of innovations and things that will come to the world through better understanding and supporting our women. So that is my call to action for everyone here listening is learn about the female biology and give women permission to do things a little bit differently and then allow them the flexibility to do things differently, right? Because they, they have different needs and they operate differently. So we need to learn how to support them so that they can support themselves. I love it. Appreciate that message, Kayla. And and appreciate your time and, and sharing everything. I learned a ton throughout this conversation. So, so I appreciate you sharing. And again, everyone go check out her, her programs or even just her website, biorhythm.com. Uh, she has a plethora of information on her Instagram at biocurious underscore Kayla. Go check her out there. Uh, but again, Kayla, appreciate your time and appreciate you coming on the Red Light Report. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. This My is pleasure. Fun. My pleasure. Uh, for, for Kayla Osterhoff, this is Dr. Mike Belkowski uh, signing off of the Red Light Report. Everybody have a fantastic week. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolight.shop in our YouTube channel, BioLite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.